Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. What you're doing down here, you're showing me, man. Alf Inga Haaland watched on yesterday as a proud father while his son banged in a couple of goals on his Manchester City debut. And you've got to be thinking, Alf Inga's record is the highest scoring Haaland in the Premier League. It's under threat already, let's be fair. 18 goals Alfie got across 181 appearances for Nottingham Forest, Leeds and Manchester City in a perfectly serviceable Premier League career. I'm looking at the fixtures though and I feel Erling could have that number overhauled by the time the September international break comes around. You're welcome <laughs> to the first Second Captain's Football Podcast of the new season. Hi Ken. Oh, and how are you? I'm high on energy, Ken. I'm high on football. Love of the game. Hi Murph. Hey old, how's it going? The beautiful game, I think Haaland himself called it. I'm just out there playing the beautiful game, he said in one of his post-match interviews, in which he did his usual. <laughs> in amongst all the cuss words. Oh, there were a few cuss words there as well, yeah. Shreves, yeah. he had to tell him to mind his language. Calm it down there. It's understandable you're excited though. Uh, so yeah, two goals on the board already. He needs another 17 to beat the L fella. Seven more matches between now and the first international break. So that would mean he needs, what, two and a half goals per game over the following six so, years? 17 matches before the international break? Seven, seven. Oh, seven sorry. More matches. He needs, <laughs> another 17, he needs like 17 goals in those 17 uh, matches uh, uh, to overhaul his dad before setting off to play for Norway. The games are Bournemouth, Newcastle, Palace, Forest, Villa, Spurs and Wolves. Oh, now, he could there's at least one hat trick four in there. of those, yeah. Yeah, no, there's, there's one hat trick in there and there's one four goal haul in there. So that just leaves <laughs> 10 goals in the other five at you, games. Bournemouth. <laughs> uh, a good start. Bournemouth got a good start, of course. Uh, two goals. Uh, so basically, you'll need two goals a game once you account for the hat trick and the four goal salvo. Uh, that's already his, his average is already two goals a game. So he's going to get this done. Listen, now that the Premier League is up and running, surely the Monday football pod isn't enough for all you non-members listening. So get yourself a World Service membership for only a fiver a month plus VAT on secondcaptains.com. And you, we can all enjoy our football coverage throughout the week together. Why not join us? Report on Sport Please Canada. To be more specific, report on the opening weekend of the new Premier League season. Well, I say on the, the, the new fans of the game... Um, follow personalities, not teams. Um, but uh, I have to 
admit that some of us legacy fans have been doing that for a long time. Um, watching Irish players in Premier League matches. Um <laughs> uh, so I was interested to see, Owen, that your selection on uh, Premier Sports was to follow Nathan Collins against Wolves rather than Gavin Bazunu against Tottenham. You see, it's never a straight straight swap. It's never a straight straight decision. I don't make these decisions, by the way, first. Time. Oh, okay, okay. It's, you're no, it's never checkers quite as simple and as playing chess. You're Pontius well, piloting it already. You're looking at other. Are there going to be a lot of Spurs games down the line? There might be. Now, I'm not. I don't actually have the fixture list in front of me, but this is sometimes the thinking as well. You know that you. That we'll get we'll get Leeds Wolves out of the way. And we'll have Tottenham what maybe when they're going Wolves. for the Champions League. These Wolves was a pretty good game. Nathan yeah, Collins, no. Nathan Collins played pretty well considering he's only benched like Connor Cody. Yes, must be a bit awkward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not his fault. I mean, they could always bench the bench the other guy. Kill him they've, literally, they've changed the system to two two centre halves instead of three and dropped the club captain to yeah. bring Nathan Collins. This lad's so team. good. It's, he's basically two defenders. <laughs> that's what they, that's what Wolves have said. It's like it's it's yeah. like Ingola Conte midf- in midfield. You know. <laughs> It's like, it's, he's like he's like two centre halves. That's how good Nathan Collins is. Well, he didn't get to do much of the type of thing he was doing in um, Woods uh, in this in this game against Wolves. Uh, he actually Lord Bamford kind of got the better of him for the second goal. I think you know didn't really get close enough to Lord Bamford, who sort of peeled away around the outside, and then he wasn't able to stop the cross, and then Leeds scored the winning goal of a of a game that I felt Wolves really should have won. And then there was all that. Did, did anything ever? Did, did anyone know what actually Jesse Marsh said to Bruno Lage? Uh Yeah, it, it, it didn't emerge straight afterwards. But later on, uh, I watched a match of the day, and uh, apparently, so Bruno Lag was asked about it, and Bruno Lag says, "For people who missed this, they basically had a very, very heated exchange as they were walking off the pitch. It was a Jesse lot. Marsh kind of following Bruno Lag and shouting in his face, and Bruno Lag turning around to shout back. But Bruno Lag said, "Well." It wasn't just at the end of the match. There was something said earlier on that was unacceptable. But right. He didn't go into what that was. He said something like, there are things in these days that you cannot say. And I was like, oh, I wonder what yeah, that was. Then they asked Jesse Marsh uh, about it. And he said, there was nothing There was nothing to it. Yeah. Yeah, stonewalling. Stonewall Marsh. Okay, well, fair enough. Um, it wasn't the best start for, for Collins. Um, Bazunu also. I mean, you know, it was interesting to, to see Spurs um, scoring goal after goal. And... Um, but on social media, I could just see people going, wow, this Bazunu guy is amazing. <laughs> but I also saw them say stuff like, oh, his dis- his distribution isn't great. It looks like his footwork isn't great. And I was like, oh, no, his what? footwork actually is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I didn't see this full game. So he may have made some kind of mistake or, you know, passed the ball out or passed it to a Tottenham player or something like that. I don't know. But uh, all I can say is there's some, there's still plenty of unexpected upside with this guy. Uh, for uh, Southampton, and it looks like you're going to need him. <laughs> looks like looks like Southampton are really going to need Gavin Bazunu, and he's really going to be sharpening up his skills uh, in the Premier League this season. But anyway, okay. If we're talking about following personalities, I guess uh, that means we it's now time to turn to Erling Haaland, who I mean, <laughs> like the the second goal that Haaland scored. I mean, we were talking to Miguel uh, the other. A day, and he was talking about the high proportion of goals that had come in this in this way from these from balls through and running through the center, and um, you know we were saying, well, he probably won't get to do that that much with City because of the way teams play against them. Uh, here he was doing. Obviously, they were they were leading in the game at the time. He had so much time that he was able to run around the ball to make the nicest angle for himself to hit it with his left foot. I mean, that's how far any defender was from being able to stop him doing this. And you could, everyone could see it coming as well. You know, it was like, 
<laughs> this is oh, absolutely. See, it come to the extent that as soon as the ball got to De Bruyne, he was still in his own half, and there were two defenders closer to the goal than Haaland was at that moment. And mm. you, you could just see it. You knew. You knew as you're watching it. Oh, this is a goal. Haaland's about to score a goal here because yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no way. No way. De Bruyne is not going to play the right pass, and there's almost no way that Haaland's not <laughs> going to finish it. Yeah, and uh, you know, sorry, go on. No, the uh, there there was a shot uh, that Sky played quite a bit of of him running off in celebration of that second goal where yeah. the camera is kind of like a little bit below head height and mm. as Erling Haaland jumps up in the air it literally looks like he's bigger than the London Stadium jumping was, over yeah. a mountain yeah. <laughs> I was like holy shit how big <laughs> is this guy like oh my god uh, but it was it was uh, sometimes you know the old TV coverage does, do, does manage to capture like the full uh, status of a goal and like as you're as you're seeing Haaland run off and celebrate like that you're thinking we're this is a site we might as well get used to. We're going to see a lot of this. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> just something about Holland reminds me of. Did you, did you ever read "At Swim Two Birds"? Yes. You know, they're Flannery O'Brien, and, yeah. and it's there's a uh, there's a bit in that where like what, what the character in it is he's sort of writing some kind of nonsense, you know, um, and. Uh, the third, uh, the third upmark. Finn McCool was a legendary hero of old Ireland. Though not mentally robust, he was a man of superb physique and development. Each of his thighs was as thick as a horse's belly, narrowing to a calf as thick as the belly of a foal. Three fifties of fosterlings could engage with a handball against the wideness of his backside, which was large enough to halt the march of men through a mountain pass. So, uh, something about that. Uh, every time I see Highland, I'm, I'm thinking about that. Uh, the man is <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's an impressive figure yeah, uh, he is. i have i have to say that the first goal was actually better like I, I mean it was a penalty but the way that he won the penalty it was it was basically the same move but in a much tighter space mm-hmm. you know what i mean and that's the kind of scary thing you know i mean it's one thing to sort of run through from halfway and you're too fast and they can't you know they can't do anything and it's magnificent and everyone is just like oh Oh my god! But uh, in the first, uh, for the first goal, he he produced a, a movement to get away from the defenders in a much smaller space. Uh, won the penalty. I mean, it was stupid by the by the goalkeeper who at that stage was a sub uh, goalkeeper. I think it may was it was his first involvement in the game. Pretty much, he just come on. Well, ha- Haaland had taken out Fabianski in the meantime. Yeah, well, I don't know if he did though. Actually, I mean, he was involved in the. I was looking at did he did he go in on him there? You know, because because it, it was yeah, a cross. Not, there, was nothing, there was nothing too bad about it. It was, it was funny. I did feel Hall up until the goal was a somewhat clumsy performance. There was that moment. There was a bad headed glancing header that he that he had wide that he should have scored. Mm. His first involvement was picking up the ball and driving. And you're thinking, oh wow! But then he drove straight into a player. So yes, listen, it took him about 25 minutes to find his feet and then he was absolutely amazing after that obviously yeah um, the, and, and one person who was incredibly impressed was um, obviously Pep Guardiola Owen he was uh, speaking after the game to the aforementioned Jeff Shreves after the way he took his second goal today there's already comparisons with Ronaldo with Thierry Henry the way he opened up his body do you think that he has the potential the potential to end up in that sort of company because he has such talent yeah of course that's talent but listen one week ago when he missed the chance that we had he was a failure you know and the people say he's not going to adapt and uh, in a Premier League and, and everybody laughed of him so and now he's going to Thierry or uh, Cristiano Ronaldo take time so it's the first Premier League game He's 21, 22 years old. He has a long career. And when he's going to retire, going to hopefully 
stay many years here in Man City, but we're going to analyze what, 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 what he has done. So be calm. So the important is the inside of us, we know what you have to do. We know the quality that he has and alongside for the other guys. And, and after that, we'll see. Yeah, so that was that was Pep, and you know, <laughs> it was just, you see this slight annoyance on his face when these comparisons were being made. Uh, it, it, it should be stressed there. Just the, the visual is also important for people because as Jeff Shreves is asking that question, Pep is rubbing his head and puffing his cheeks. That he'd already answered about three. Pretty much all Jeff Shreves' questions were about Haaland, which I think is absolutely fair enough from the point of view of the interviewer but already you can see this is going to start you, you were worried Ken about whether or not Pep would have to change his style on the pitch to fit in to fit Haaland in it looks like already they're getting over that particular hurdle I think the bigger issue is going to be how pissed off he's going to be answering questions about how brilliant Erling Haaland is after every match absolutely like this is hilarious and, and, in, the, and in the press conference that he went into after that interview he referred back to that he's like oh you know everyone was saying he's going to be a failure last week this week people are telling me he's the new T.D. Henry Al Shearer Cristiano Ronaldo Pfft. But that was only the beginning of his Erling Haaland um, uh, struggle session that the media then <laughs> put him through. Pep is, Pep is sitting there. And how is he going to react to just being the hype man for Erling Haaland? Like he is now Don King to Haaland's Tyson or like Colonel Tom Parker to Haaland's Elvis. <laughs> and he's just going to have to sit there and talk about this guy who, who, who everyone is like, oh, well, we've never seen anything like him, Pep. Have you ever seen anything like this guy? He, did, he, did, like, he didn't tire of doing it for Messi. I mean, he didn't tire of doing it for Messi. So, I mean, what? so Haaland knows what, uh, you know, the sort of respect that Guardiola gave Messi. So, I would say that after a couple of months of Pep getting a little annoyed at ha- having to answer questions, he's going to be like, well, you did it for the last guy, so why can't you do it for me? I don't know. I mean, with, with Messi, he could maybe take a bit more credit for the development of Messi's career in the sense of, like, um, you know, he me, Messi had been there, Pep had made the big decision to make him the central player, you know, to, 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 to stake everything on Messi. And so when Messi was doing well, it was it was kind of also it was to Pep's uh, credit. Whereas in this case, what's, if, unless, Haaland, unless he can push Haaland up into the two-goal-a-game uh, sort of territory. Um, this is just Haaland doing what Haaland does. Mm. And so, you know, having talked about him for pretty much the entire presser uh, up to this point, I think this is, we come in here around the sixth minute of the presser. And I mean, this is, so So Pep is sort of interesting, like, you know, he's he's obviously he's, he's great. You know, you all said he'd failed. Nobody said that. The question was to do with, <laughs> the question was to do with how well he'd fit into the, the system, really. It wasn't a case of, oh, is this guy really, is this guy really all that? But um, he actually did say something a bit more interesting in this answer. Besides, like, he usually just tries to divert, like, oh, Cancelo is amazing, or Kyle Walker. I'm always telling Kyle him. Kyle Walker. You don't realize, how, you don't realize how good you are, Kyle Walker, you know, when he's asked to talk about him. But here, this is... Um, this is a question about how where, where Guardiola starts to talk a little bit about how City themselves might be changing in response to having a player like this. He said, he said to himself, the finishing in the head, the right, the left, control, understand the game, the movements, it depends on the mates, you know, which movement I have to do, it depends. And of course, today is the first look, the, the two goals, it wasn't, you know, balls, in front of the central defender, Gundo and the first Kevin the second, and we had the feeling that when we win after passes, we can look at him a little bit more, we'll find him more. Maybe in the past, we didn't have a reference like him, he moved more right, left, left, right, and now we have to do it again. But in the same time, so always one high, this guy had to put the ball there, and especially in transition. So it was an incredible second goal, it was an incredible action from Jack, 
the goal belongs to him because he keep the ball, keep the ball, keep the ball, attract the opponents, make a perfect pass, Rodri, Rodri find the pocket the opposite side. And when that's happening, open a space with Kevin, with the one guy running, so it's, it's difficult to stop it. But we'll find most many games, five in the back, in the box, a lot. And we have to find an alternative, you know, to find him and to, to do the team playing good. So, yeah, that, that is... Um you know, he, he, he already is kind of saying, you know, maybe we will, um, maybe we're going to look for that, that ball a little bit more, obviously in a lot of games. You know, and, and of course, he, he ended up crediting the goal to Jack Grealish, uh, <laughs> Grealish for holding on to the ball and drawing so many, you know, that's, that's what football is all about in Guardiola's opinion. That's how you, that's, that's what it's all about, bring, drawing in players and then releasing the ball uh, into, into free men in space. So, um, yeah, but he, he also said an impressive. There's one thing that he said, which which you do sort of wonder about in terms of City this season, because obviously yesterday was like a, a perfect game for City. You know, West Ham just sort of stood off them. Um, let's you know, challenging them to pass through us. Okay, we'll do that. They did that. Uh, all all very good. Every, everything great. Pep mentioned they've got 17 players in their first team squad. Which seems like, uh, he said, they're the, he said according to Pep, they're the smallest squad in the Premier League. And obviously, that's padded out with sort of younger players. But according to Pep, first teamers at 17, which just given the um, extremely intense uh, nature of the fixture schedule this season, you do wonder if, if that is a kind of a thing that might um, cost them. Uh, so, so that means every, everyone except for one player will play every single week. If you've got five subs and you, yeah, and you use I'm your five sure. subs, basically everyone except one guy is going to play every week. I, yeah. Something tells me that that number is not going the, to not increase. the full truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think think, but well, you know, maybe they maybe they will add to the first team numbers. It does seem like a low number, but uh, you know, obviously everyone around the world football was uh, watching uh, this uh, Erling Haaland situation, see what would happen. Obviously, I, I consult uh, my oracle. Uh, I'm Pep understander Diego Torres. Who ah uh, oh, we're, we're straight in at the start of the season. Go for it, Ken. Has been writing about Haaland this week, uh, and he's got a few drive-bys as usual. Um, the substitution Bernardo Silva, his most frequent accomplice in training, was bad news for the Norwegian. So Silva, Bernardo Silva, started the match. Haaland can do everything well on a football pitch, but to be unbalanced, he needs partners to be un- to get away from to be in space. Basically, Silva is the first, but his discontent seems manifest since Guardiola started leaving him out in 2020. On the trip to London, the coach's choice is favoured Grealish, who does not have much vision, Gundogan, who is out of shape, and De Bruyne, which, due to lack of physical background, has reduced his radius of action to the second point. <laughs> so, <laughs> he really has it in for De Bruyne. <laughs> also, Grillo doesn't have vision, which is just just harsh. Uh, when he attacks the spaces, he is like Ronaldo Nazario, said Roy Keane, stationed in the stands of the Olympic Stadium. The old United striker recognised the Norwegian's lightning when evoking the runs of the Brazilian... Um, uh, he describes Haaland as the first, to- uh, the first top flight star, or the phrase in Spanish is "el primer crack de máxima categoría." Can you work out that impenetrable Spanish? First world class striker. El primer crack de máxima categoría. Uh, like the first goal of uh, an amazing career. No, crack is what they call like a, a Galactico. Ah, you okay. know, the first crack of the máxima categoría. Of the highest the caliber, highest order. I, I believe. I believe that's that's it. That Guardiola has signed in his nearly twenty-year coaching career, which is just an interesting point because Guardiola has obviously signed a lot of um, 
a lot of top players. I mean, if you sat down, I'm sure you'd see some, some uh, I mean, Ibrahimovic jumps out, but obviously the implication is Ibrahimovic doesn't belong in that category. Lewandowski is another one that, that leaps out. But here, what's this about Lewandowski? This is super interesting because um, the Haaland thing was so big that it wasn't just this week, uh, this or, or rather the game that was being reported on, but rather the, the week, the preview. And so reading uh, again in Diego Torres about uh, how things have gone with uh, Holland and Alvarez. There's a point about Alvarez here. Uh, Alvarez, there are 200 professional attackers in Europe with the same conditions as Alvarez in terms of speed, passing, dribbling, or decision-making ability outside the box, says a coach who has attended City training this summer. Alvarez only stands out in two things, a devastating first touch and an uncheck so surreal that as if he acted with information that no one but him has. He looks like he moves after seeing the play on TV. An uncheck, in other words, the ability to find space to, mm. to, to lose your marker. Um, it is not easy to find this kind of talent, nor is it easy for clubs to invest in their hiring with knowledge of the cost. So this, is, this, this bit stood out to me, right? Guardiola knew as soon as he arrived in Munich, he found himself misunderstood by the board in the face of Mario Manzu the struggles of Mario Mandzukic. Neither Hoeneß nor Rummenigge nor Beckenbauer understood the Spanish coach when he explained to them that the striker of the team that had just won the treble was not fit to play the football he wanted. He warned them that after directing Ibrahimovic, Eto, Villa and Messi, he understood the most unstoppable teams were built with nines of great mobility and empathy like the last three. Not even Ibrahimovic, the most agile of the traditional strikers, had adapted to the model. So um, now listen to this crazy, crazy thing, right? They say in Bayern that Guardiola stimulated a deep debate in a club historically accustomed to culminating its lineups with nine tanks, uh, the, you know, the big center forth, or such as Yanker, Mackay, Elber, Luca Toni, or Mario Gomez. Uh, come Christmas of his first season, however, the coach found himself with a fait accompli. Unbeknownst to him, Bayern had signed Robert Lewandowski, who was free. Guardiola's horror was so great. <laughs> We've signed Lewandowski. Guardiola's horror was so great that according to what they say in Munich, that same winter he made the decision not to renew his three-year contract. <laughs> he ignored the offer that doubled his salary up to 20 million euros per season. So demoralized he felt at the prospect of building attacks that ended up in the center of the pot for another pigeon to finish off. <laughs> More acrobatic than Mandzukic, but pigeon nonetheless. I'm like, pigeon? What? The word in Spanish is actually uh, palomero. Palomero, which as far as I can see means pigeon keeper, like a like a, a pigeon fancier. <laughs> you know? uh, 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 I'm not sure what it was telling me, pigeon, but uh, this this seems to be the the word for a hatcher. You know, mm. like uh, I don't know why particularly that word is used. Um, is it like a pigeon waits for just stands there like a pigeon waiting for you to throw him crumbs? Mm. Um, well, this is the, the way that Lewandowski is dismissed. Guardiola organized Bayern to produce scrap metal in industrial quantities so that Lewandowski's opportunism would shine. But in tight games like that 2015 Champions League semifinal that he lost against Atletico after creating 50 chances, the system showed its shortcomings. So um, basically saying, you know, he there's nothing Guardiola finds more demoralizing than just manufacturing a, a kind of a pinball type of a team that just flips the ball into the area for a pigeon uh, fancier to <laughs> knock into the net, right? Like Lewandowski, like a, a Lewandowski, the top scorer in Europe over the last five seasons or whatever. Um, Can you the, always uh, refer to Lewandowski as the pigeon fancier on this show from now on, please? <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't know before now, but maybe I'll have to look at it. Um, so, so witnesses to city training. Now, this is the this is the ominous stuff for the rest of the season. Witnesses to city training speak of fabulous jewels in the positional attacking simulations in tight spaces. Stung by the short Alvarez, 
the gigantic Harlan multiplies his battery of unchecks every day in an unknown scenario and city practices. It absolutely just, I'm immediately thinking of even Drago in training, right? <laughs> like, God knows what they're doing to him in there. <laughs> but, you know, he's multiplying his battery of unchecks. And uh, uh, until the summer, the interiors had to devise millimetric passes and strenuous movements to find the strikers. With Alvarez and Haaland, the task of the midfielders is simplified. So, uh, and I think we saw evidence of that. That, that was written before the match, but the evidence was was the um, the first goal, really, in, in that game. I mean, you know, up against a team that's defending with, with everyone behind the ball, um, you know, good sort of West, you know, David Moyes structure or whatever, everything is very stiff and rigid and uh, solid looking. And um, they were able to find space. This huge guy finds a tiny space. And uh, yeah, well, uh, it's... All your doubts are erased, Ken. Um, well, uh, you know, it, it did. You, you did when you when you looked at it uh, in a game where he's scoring and, and playing well, as opposed to one where he's kind of not really touching the ball and 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 not really getting involved. You sort of think, well, how can this not work? <laughs> like, I mean, if you got if you got all these guys just feeding him the ball, you know, I mean, how can like how can Kevin De Bruyne not play well with with this guy? You know what I mean? It just. It, it just doesn't compute, you know what I mean? So um, maybe, I mean, every, everyone, uh, everyone, uh, certainly a player as high profile as him, defenders are going to study him, figure out what it is that he's doing. Is there anything we can do to to stop this? That's uh, the question. So, yeah, we'll see. So what else? Uh, obviously, it was a great weekend for City because Liverpool dropped points immediately. Um, it's in I their hands now, you know? Well, they've still, they've still got to shake off Arsenal. <laughs> I mean, Arsenal are there. Arsenal, Arsenal are there, you know. And 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 Jesus, I thought was brilliant. Uh, yeah. I mean, he didn't score, but you know, played some brilliant. Um, God, I've stuff. watched so much football since that Arsenal game. <laughs> it's really know, hard it to so long ago, right? deep uh, to delve back into the recesses of my brain to last Friday night. But yeah, but already in the Arsenal game, I thought I could see a, a kind of a weird tendency, which is that they've apparently changed the rules in the league so that like all kinds of fouls are now no longer fouls. So let it flow. Is that what you're saying? Well, let, let it flow was like it's like they've they've really um, they they've they've taken let it flow to the next level. Just push people over. It's fine. People like it. You know, just just push. <laughs> and especially what I kept seeing was this situation where where the ball comes into player. He's trying to shield it, and a guy bashes into him from behind. He goes down, and it's it's a free kick. Except it's not a free kick. It's play on, and. You know, this was kind of the. Uh, this is now the the sta- apparently the standard approach to these situations in the mm. in the Premier League. You know, a, a physical coming together. Well, that's the game, and I mean, it's it hasn't really been the game before. It certainly hasn't been the game of the last thirty years. But it seems as though that's what they're going to try and uh, get back to now. Fulham, uh, Fulham's approach against Liverpool was the opposite of of West Ham's against uh, City. So for West Ham kind of were very passive and, and said, you know, we're, we're, you can have the ball, we'll guard the spaces. Fulham came after Liverpool um, and Liverpool didn't like it at all. You know, it, they, it, what they did to Liverpool in the first 20 minutes particularly of the game was like what Liverpool would do to teams in the early sort of Klopp years when they were kind of, um, you know, oh, we've got to we've got to outrun everybody. And now they they seemed kind of like this stately, venerable team, sort of getting flustered at being, you know, being abused by these hustlers. And 
you know, the, the midfield in particular really just looked um, kind of slow and not, not really able to get to grips with it. And Thiago obviously got injured, which is just the thing that always happens with Thiago. Um, and then you got Mitrovic, who, you know, I haven't seen such such um, dominant hold-up play since that clip of Baron Trump uh, receiving <laughs> receiving the ball and, and laying it. I mean, Baron Trump is is like two meters tall. You know, yeah. he he was just dominating everybody, but he wasn't up against. To, to be fair, people like Virgil Van Dijk, who uh, I mean, obviously Mitrovic jumped over Trent Alexander Arnold to, to score the goal. Although again, you know, you saw it's another one of those moments from from Arnold, just like in the the Champions League final, where. You know, he, he, there's a cross to the back post. It's, you know, if it's anyone's responsibility to deal with, it's him. He just doesn't go for the ball. You know, like the ball was there. He, he could, and it wasn't as though, you know, Mitrovic jumped eight and a half feet in the air and there was nothing Trent Alexander could do about it. He could have tried to get the ball, but I think he was just hoping that the ball would sort of whistle past the whole situation. And, and obviously, Mitrovic had other ideas about what was going to happen to that ball, but he headed it off Alexander Arnold's head. You know what I mean? Yeah, Alexander yeah. Arnold's sort of ducking, ducking head, and it uh, it uh, ended up in the in the net. Uh, and then obviously he he, um, but he, again with 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 Alexander Arnold, uh, you know, once again it's a it's a kind of a, you have to pin that one on him, and uh, it is obviously the kind of things teams um, teams target. And uh, it's just, you know, when I look at the midfield and then I look at the right back, I kind of think to myself, really, should these, should this still be? Look, I'm not going to get back on that hobby horse, on that hobby horse yet. just yet. Then, then Mitrovic did, uh, did Van Dijk. Now, you were saying there weren't many frees and penalties given, but that, that was one that... Well, that, this, this, so this type of dubious. penalty... I think it probably was a penalty, because when, when you saw it again, you could actually see... Often with those ones, you're looking, oh, he didn't trip, he didn't, he didn't seem to make contact, but then if you look for... It's always a good idea to just keep looking all the way up the body, up, and yeah. when you get to Van Dijk's knee and yeah. Mitrovic's knee, that's where you're seeing he actually did seem to knock Oh, it, de- it definitely was a penalty, there's no doubt, and Klopp said afterwards, well, I was told he he got the ball, and that was also true, because he did. He, 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 uh, he went with one foot... He kind of got a toe on the ball, it ricocheted off Mitrovic, who was basically still. It didn't really. It didn't take the ball away from Mitrovic, although maybe it was going to go to Alexander Arnold, who was also there. Van Dijk didn't need to then go for it again with his other foot, which is, which is what he did, and that's how he ended up um, bringing down Mitrovic with his knee. So it was a penalty, and uh, it's one of his worst games, I think, for for a good while, just in terms of how things how things went. And his, uh, I think, Opta had the status. This is the first time he's been dribbled past by an opponent and conceded a penalty in the same game. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. Mm. But, um, you know, uh, that was uh, that. was that. So so poor start. But the, the one good thing about the game, obviously, was the way that the, that the end of it went when they had Darwin Nunez on. And Nunez, again, looked, you know, very lively. Um, and it's hard, really, to see him spending too much more time on the bench, especially when you consider that lack of dynamism in the midfield. That they're going, you know, they're going to need to get it from somewhere. Remember the thing, the thing when when you're losing Sadio Mane is, you kind of just forget how strong he was, you know. And aside from like the, the goals and the sort of speed and the threat behind and all this type of stuff, just um, physically he was, you know, he was one of the top players always on the pitch in every game. Luis Diaz seems a very skillful player, but he's 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 lightweight compared to Mane, so 
you, you know, if you're losing that, you need to bring it in from somewhere else. And maybe um, the argument, I mean, obviously they intend to use Nunez. He's their record signing. So we, or their record, yeah, he is their record. He, he will be their record signing if he's any good, which looks like he's going to be. So what else? Um, well, uh, we will be talking, obviously, to Jonathan Wilson, who was at Old Trafford for the Man United game. Has anyone, Owen, remarked on a supposed resemblance between you and the new Manchester United manager? Has anybody remarked on this resemblance again? Yes. You are, of course, um, 10 years his junior own. I've literally, I've literally changed my Twitter bio to reflect this, Ken. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. No. I am not, I am not the Manchester yeah. manager. Wow. Look, me, look me up there, Murph. I will. Just You'll give me a there. second here now. Jesus. Yeah, who was it? John Tinsley, really long-time listener. Has anyone ever seen these two men in the same room at the same time? And it's a picture of myself. Looks like backstage at, um, at one of our Liberty Hall shows. And Eric Ten Hag who is looking his usual inscrutable self. I actually showed that tweet to my wife, who reacted by putting her... You know that when somebody is shocked by the truth of something and put, yeah. she puts her hands over her mouth and goes, <gasps> Oh, my God. Yeah, she's like, that's, that is that is Spooky, you. like this is an actual... Well, is there's, that you? There's been a full overhaul over McDevitt's Twitter, uh, Ken. I'm ten, year, I'm 10 years younger, by the way. Ten yeah, years no. younger, yeah, but he's, yeah, I don't mind. I mean, it's not the worst look like I'll, the, I'll absolutely, the bio, I'll absolutely, yeah. I'll absolutely take, I'll absolutely take the ten hag look like I have no problem with it. But ideally, when you're being compared with somebody physically, you'd like them to be ten years younger, not ten years older. <laughs> well, look, he's a fit man, Owen. Um, he strode onto the pitch. He said hello to Fred the Red, and everything went downhill from there. Um, Danny <laughs> Welbeck rivaling Mitro for the Baron Trump uh, Hold of Play Award. Uh, you know, just absolutely everything fed up to Welbeck was sort of sticking and he was just in this really calm way, laying off little passes, Brighton, just little simple passes to a nearby player. It's it's actually easy when you remember that it's not that hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and he, uh, you know, they, or but but it comes from the sort of structure that they have. You know, I mean, when, when they move up the field, they move up together. I mean, look at the two goals, both um, on both occasions. The ball goes from one side of the penalty area to the to the other. You know what I mean? They've 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 got players pushed into the box on both sides. Um, you know, there's, you know, there. It was really it was really impressive by Brighton. I mean, you could tell, like United are really going to struggle here after 20 minutes of the game. You know, because they then, you know, the preseason had gone quite well, but of course they lost Martial then to injury. He was kind of playing up front for them in, in preseason. They. Then, so they had to kind of rejig the attack. What they came up with was really unconvincing. I mean, Ten Hag said beforehand, you know, uh, Ericsson can play false nine. He's really good in that position. You know, it just looked confused. I mean, you had Sancho and Rashford switching wings. You had you had Bruno Fernandes and Ericsson kind of switching between being the further forward and, you know, more withdrawn player. But at no point did this look like it made any kind of sense. And the terrible thing from Tanakh's point of view is it actually looked better with Ronaldo. <laughs> once, Ronaldo once Ronaldo gave up, because he saw the face of Ronaldo as he sat there, you know, on the bench. Because Ronaldo is just not, he, he will not accept sitting on the bench. Like it's not, as far as he's concerned, this is a, a brutal insult. Like, you know, you cannot do this to me. I am. I, I his face was sort of was sort of showing that, so it's difficult. I think for Ten Hag to leave him out now, despite what he said about Ronaldo's uh, level of fitness not being up to it. It's like okay, yeah, you're going on about fitness, but who are you actually going to use? You know, there's there's not too many other options. It's being reported now that they're, uh, you know, looking at signing Arnautovic. 
and I just feel 33 years of age like I honestly feel as though if they do that that's going to make people really angry because it just seems like what like Arnaudovic this is a guy who was playing for Stoke like 10 years ago and now he's the Man United centre forward and and meanwhile we all have to watch Haaland for Man City you know who's like some kind of a superman like he, everyone, everyone in the world is just like, my God, have you seen this? You know, people are just are, are like crouched over screens, you know, in, in all the all the corners of the world, going, have you here? Have you seen this guy? You know, and we've got Arnautovich. Like, how, how is this? Like, the clubs have switched places. Like, Man City and Man United have have switched places from twenty years ago. Like, I, I, it's one that we we've seen. We know that Man City have been the more powerful club for like ten years now, right? We, I mean, that's. That's sort of more or less the way that it's gone. And that's kind of not surprising. What's surprising is how how United seem to be getting worse, you know, losing at home to Brighton. That's the kind of thing that City used to do, you know, 20, 20 years ago when they were a joke, you know. And that's and, and signing Arnautovic because you've lost at home to Brighton. That's that's a, that's another Man City 2003. I mean, Arnautovic maybe was around. <laughs> he was, he, it's a bit too, it's a bit. But you, you see what I mean? Like, this is really... No, this it's is, not. It's not a move to excite people, especially when they still haven't got the Frankie De Jong transfer over the the line. Well, now they're talking about signing a thirty-three-year-old. I don't know if anyone ever considered him world class. He's a handful, Arnautovic at his best. Arnautovic. I don't think that he has been a bad player. Yeah. Um. He. But I just think that a thirty-three, and and especially his his sort of his shape, his size, his girth. You know, I'm just like. I mean, he's a huge. He's a huge guy. And and if you're looking for a a reference, you know, as Guardiola said of Haaland, then he's certainly that. You know, you can pick him out. You can you can look up, and you you will be able to see where he is on the pitch. He's a big man, but at thirty three, you know, having kind of played for uh, sort of mid ranking Premier League clubs before, I just think if you're if you're Man United, you're, you're you're thinking, how has this happened to us? You know, this shouldn't be us. Like, why why is this happening? Look 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 at look at what all the other teams have done. Like the, who have, the other teams have all signed strikers. Um, Richarlison has gone to Tottenham for for like sixty million. You can argue about the price of it, but like Richarlison is like Richarlison is like Arnautovic maybe was ten years ago. You know he's got potential. He he he's um, yeah he he, he he's a he's a young guy. Sterling has gone to Chelsea. They may they may sign more players. Um, Nunez has, has joined Liverpool. You know United um, were supposedly interested in him, but but didn't get him. Um, Jesus, Arsenal, Arsenal have signed Gabriel Jesus, and United are looking at Arnautovic. Yeah. Ah, uh, you know, I, I think they better You've not turned sign into him. Alan Iverson. It's just, you just keep saying the word Arnautovic. We're talking like about he was Arnautovic. <laughs> I, no, I honestly think like they, they, that will really things will kick off if they sign him. You know, it's a and and it's it's sort of unfair. And it's not really a reflection on him. The other thing, all obviously with Arnautovic, is he does have a history of some some bad incidents. Um, you know, he was accused of, he's been accused of sort of abusing opponents. I mean, there was a thing in the Euros, you know, with, with remember when he scored in the Euros last season and, and he, he was shouting something and I forget which of his teammates was like sort of putting their mouth over his, oh, put, yeah. put, not putting their mouth over his hand, putting their hand over his mouth uh, which, to try and block the cameras from seeing what I was saying, which although the intention to defend the teammate was was um, noble, uh, it did rather draw attention. You know, there's a couple of instances like that. It was clear that he, he was he was given a one game suspension. I presume this is for the same incident you're talking about, but was cleared of discriminatory behaviour. 
in his yeah. mid-match rant against North Macedonia. There's a few of these, sorry, North, North Macedonia and Albania. So there was a few of these um, type of things, but, you know, um, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, the question has to be like, how, uh, is this really the best idea we have? You know, someone needs to come up with a better idea. Shesko, they've been talking about from Salzburg, uh, who at least has the benefit of being young and again, there's potential, but the, but Salzburg realizing the situation, like this guy's going to be really, really expensive. We're not sure you have the money for this guy. So then that there's another issue for um, for United to solve. Uh, they have Brentford next. They have Liverpool after that, and Brentford are another team a little bit like um, Brighton. They're not they're not as good as Brighton, but in terms of organization, you know, and uh, automatic. Uh, what was the word Ten Hag used? Um, Ten Hag had a particular word for this, but you know, kind of set moves like well drilled is the old fashioned phrase for it. They, yeah, and they're absolutely gonna they're gonna rein in um, high balls on Lissandra Martinez. I mean, Martinez obviously was involved in this ridiculous incident with Welbeck where he knocked him over, and it's such a blatant penalty. And oh, and you reminded me of the Leeds Wolves game where. Um, in the in the Leeds Wolves game, it was um, Jose Sa, the goal, goalkeeper incident. The, yeah, yeah. So there's a high ball. One of those the ones where the keeper is rushing out to try to try to punch it away. The attacker, well, the right back in this case for Leeds, is steaming in, and the well, he's not steaming in. He's just running. But he's about to head the ball. The goalkeeper is steaming out. Go, goes goes for man and ball. You could say doesn't get ball. Gets mm. only man. Gets mm. man's head and looks like he could have seriously injured him for a couple of moments. Thankfully. Christensen for Leeds was okay, but it was as clear a penalty as you could possibly see. And to me, it's a pretty clear red card as well. But uh, maybe your let it flow directive can combined with the the old, you know, the goalkeepers union uh, yeah. me- meant that for some reason it wasn't even given as a penalty, and there was no obvious VAR check. It wasn't like one of those long ones where where it, it's like I presume they looked at it in some way. But yeah, no, nothing made of it. Absolutely crazy! Like it's just nonsense what they're doing. You know this this refereeing is oh let it flow, let it flow. But but all it does is just encourage fouls. You know that's like, encouraging fouls is not is not good. I mean when I say encourage fouls, obviously you can get away with things which previously were were given as fouls. But now you can just it's easy. Oh they've played they've played the ball in between the lines to their you know um, creative attacker who's got us back to goal. No problem, just smash into the ground and come away with the ball. The crowd will cheer and you know they won't do that again. Maybe the next so time, you're, so you're, maybe the so next time they'd be, they'd be launching diags from forty yards, uh, it, you know, towards their their converted centre half, centre forward, and we'll be back in nineteen eighty eight, and we'll realise why we changed the rules in the first place. You know, that's, that's your fear that ultimately this is is counterproductive. It ends up encouraging foul play. So rather than speeding up the game by letting things go, it'll end up slowing down the game by letting. Letting the more rugged elements of the sport take over from the, well, it the pun- players it punishes, that speed. It punishes um, uh, players who are trying to play in tight spaces. You know, if you say, well, tight spaces, you know, if the ball is there, I think, then, um, okay, well, certainly Man City will have to rethink their approach if the refereeing remains consistent, which it won't because there are ridiculous things like we, we all have to watch Brighton not being given one of the clearest penalties you can imagine. By, and VAR saying, yeah, we think that's all right. We think that's all right. You know what I mean? And so it so won't last, but like, it's just, it annoys me. Anyway, a um, couple of other small things here before we get on to talk to the guys. Uh, yeah, the guys being, did I mention already? John, Jonathan Wilson and Jack Pitbrook coming right up. Messi is good again. I mean, he's always been good, really, but he seems to be playing uh, like he did some amazing stuff. 
uh, in the PSG, I mean PSG, you know, one seventy five nil or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Game didn't necessarily seem that competitive. But Messi scored one great goal where he sort of ran through the middle gave the ball to Neymar got it back and slotted it into the corner another one where he he uh, ghosted through the offside line and uh, chested it and scored with a bicycle kick uh, uh, the best thing that he did however was setting up a goal for Neymar with a pass which I've never seen someone do before uh, like there was a cutback Messi's kind of so the cutback is kind of the, the line will go to Messi and then to Neymar the line of the ball Neymar's they're both sort of coming onto this ball and you know what have we seen players do things like maybe dummy it uh, what Messi does is better he doesn't dummy it he just lifts it do, have, you, have you actually seen this no, I'm, no. Like, but so he doesn't. He doesn't actually affect the direction of the ball. The ball is still going across. But what he does is he just puts his foot and just lifts it very slightly, so that the defender who's trying to cut out the pass, it, it just goes over his foot, runs into Bad Neymar, who just uh, knocks it into the net. Uh, an unbelievable pass. Uh, so he seems to be back in his um, good to hear in his groove. Which maybe is why Barcelona are saying they're, they're going to sign him again. So maybe they can uh, figure out a way to lever that one up. I'm having a buzz flowing around. Anyone wants to not give me a shell. Six million ways to die. Choose one. I don't like the name him because, you know, I, I actually think he's a very good writer. Mm. But it, it was a daft. This was a, a dig at football people who know the game. Using statistics uh, to try and undermine people who have eyes ears and common sense. What I'm saying is that sometimes the eyes and ears mislead you. The ears, particularly if it's Paul Merson talking to them, might mislead you. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls and you know, the stones. Have a proper debate. Look to debate him. You could sell tickets for that. All I have to back it up are facts. <laughs> All I have to back it up is the factual record of what, of what took place. Bring it on. This was a dig at football people who know the game. He's the one who's on the attack. Don't forget. Mm. And has been for some time without naming people. He, he mentioned pundits. Mm. Well, who are the football pundits? <laughs> I think they call that on a verbal broadside. You've been on the attack, Ken, but you don't have... You just don't have what it takes to name names. You don't have the balls, Ken. You don't have the stones. <laughs> <laughs> don't have the balls. Yeah, I don't want to put them down. But they seem to want to prove that you don't need to know anything about football to write about it. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls, can you? You know the stones. Making their first appearances of the season on the Second Captain's Podcast, it is Jonathan Wilson. How are you, Jonathan? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Uh, very good, thank you. Very well, I should say. And the Athletics' Jack Pitbrook. Good to chat to you again, Jack. Great to be back on. I think, Jonathan, you were at Old Trafford, so I think we'll start there because... There's a prediction that our listeners have been waiting all pre-season to hear. It's nothing to do with Eric Ten Hag or Cristiano Ronaldo or anything like that. Last season, we all remember you predicted big things for Brighton on this very show. You said they could finish, I think you went all out, you said as high as 12th. Yes. And they exceeded even your lofty expectations with a top 10 finish. So this should now be an annual slot, Jonathan Wilson's (laughs) Brighton prediction for the season. After what you saw yesterday, what's the season? Where are they going to finish this year? Uh, I mean, I, I thought they struggled without uh, Bissouma and um, uh, Kukurea, but Moises, uh, Moises Caicedo was, was brilliant. I mean, a player, I have to say, I didn't know a huge amount about. I was vaguely aware that he played for Ecuador, but he, I thought he was, certainly the first half, I thought he was, he was absolutely sensational. Only 20, um, so they, they seemed to have recruited exceptionally well there. Um, 
I, th- I think the use of Trossard as a left wing back made a lot of sense. I mean, the truth is, you know, they, they won 2 1, but it, it, if they'd had a proper centre forward and if they'd been given the penalty, they clearly should have been. Hang on it, a second. Danny Welbeck gave one of the greatest centre forward performances <laughs> I've ever seen. And you're. Explain me. Did, did you not think Welbeck was sorry, sensational? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but he's not a finisher. Yeah, you made he, a goal he, scorer alongside. Yeah, sorry. I, I, you're, you're right. I. I, I I, I, I said something forward. I meant goal scorer. They still okay. struggle to score goals. Uh, well, Welbeck was in a, in a sort of target man role. Was was brilliant. I agree. Yeah. Well, we still haven't got the prediction. I mean, this is what the crowd is waiting for, Jonathan. What's what? How high can the seagulls soar? Well, I, I, okay. I think it depends a lot on how quickly Aston Villa sack Steven Gerrard. Oh my god. Um, and that, whether, it's just all grenades. It's and just well, a, Oh, come Three on, he's, he's not good enough. Like, look at the money they've spent. Look how good that squad is and look at how badly they played on Saturday and look how badly they played at the end of last season. But what's that um, got to do with Brighton? Well, as to whether Brighton... Phil, they have a squad that should, should see them finish above Brighton. Um, and, and if Gerard stays beyond Christmas, they probably won't. And I, I think if I were... The, you know, the Villa leadership, Graham Potter is the sort of person I'd be looking to bring in. Ah, I see what you're saying. Okay, uh, so that's how long I think Potter's a lot depends on Leicester and how it plays out in the next three or four weeks. Ah. Um, but I think I think they could be 10th I think I think it could be as good as that this season <laughs> you've gone right into the top 10 this year you're brave calls straight out well, the gate listen yes, yeah, I mean you're, you're suggesting Jonathan that, that Graham Potter could be tempted away by um, mid-ranking Premier League clubs like Villa and Leicester um, do you think that he might be better advised hanging on for an even bigger vacancy? <laughs> what I mean is, do you think? I think we know what you mean a, already. Again, there might be a big job coming up at Old Trafford sooner rather than later. I mean, what's, what's your uh, what's your feeling about that at this at this point? I really hope for his sake he, he never, obviously not in the near future, is tempted to take Manchester United job. I mean, you know, it, it's it's such an obvious poison chalice. You know, there's a, there's, there's the skull and crossbones is there on the chalice. Yeah, you know, it's it's obvious, like. <laughs> Like, don't destroy yourself doing that. I mean, it's... I, I think with people like Potter, who've been very successful at one club, it's always it's always difficult to know how long they, they, they should stay because there is clearly a ceiling of what something like Brighton can achieve. But he's clearly perfect for that club. I think the recruitment's, you know, as I said, has been excellent. I think the, the environment of that club is, is brilliant. But Aston Villa have a higher ceiling. Manchester United have a much, much higher ceiling. But to go to United now, with everything that's wrong at that club, I, I just why would you do it? Like wait till it's wait till it's wasteland completely been levelled and and you can build it again from scratch. You know, go in and with your plans and dig down the foundations and and, and rebuild it to to your image. Don't don't go in now where you'd have to be pulling things down as well as putting things up. Jackie, and you um, were watching the United game from far, um, but what what do you make of what what? Jonathan Wilson is saying here in terms of it's such an obvious poison chalice. I mean, do you do you still think they're they're in that phase? I mean, did you were you surprised by how badly things went uh, at the beginning for Eric Ten Hag? I wasn't that surprised by how badly things went because this is a performance that we've seen a lot from what five or six different managers in the last eight eight or so years. And even if even if you're bullish about Ten Hag's ability to in, you know, imprint his style of play on the team. It's obviously going to take quite a while, even if even if this is the kind of um, you know year zero reset moment. 
that doesn't mean that you're good from the first game. Like if you look at, I don't know, uh, Pochettino at Tottenham or Klopp at Liverpool or whatever, it's obviously a lot of work before you can get good. And they don't have the players. Like they obviously don't have the players that he needs to play the style of football he wants. So I think there are there are definitely reasons for not overjudging Ten Hag on how bad it was yesterday. Mm. I guess the question is how much... Like, how much stomach do the fans and board of Manchester United have for it to get worse and worse and worse if it continues to get worse before they decide that they want to reset with somebody else? Mm. I mean, I think I think all of that is true, and I'm not I'm absolutely not blaming Ten Hag for this. But you you, you go to Old Trafford and you know, the press box is you know as you look from a picture to the left of the director's box, you look over to the director's box. There's Avram Glazer who's who's turned up for the first time in however many months, mm. just this fixed stare ahead, this sort of vacant grin on his face. There's no comprehension there of what's going on in the pitch in front of him. Along to his left, you've got Alex Ferguson shaking his head, looking gloomy. Down on the bench, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo throwing his hands in the air every time they concede. You know, the, it's so hard to manage to go in there and not be 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 constrained by, by all these things going on around him. I... And, and, you know, and Ten Hag's a, a pretty tough, bullish bloke. I mean, certainly his performances in press conferences suggest he's pretty hard. He's, you know, he's gone around and, and called all the private chefs. You know, he's, he's not afraid to get blood on his hands. But you sort of think the forces arrayed against him are so great. And you look at the lack of confidence of, I mean, Rashford, most obviously. You know, there's that terrible moment in the second half when it turned out Ronaldo was onside, but the, the flag went yeah, up. Yeah, it would have been a goal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and... and yeah, you sort of, it, it's one of those where, where your sort of first instinct is, oh, that's probably offside. And it, but play goes on, and you sort of think, oh, God, this late flag, all it's done is created this space in which Marcus Rashford can pointlessly humiliate himself again. And when that ball was played across, there was no sense he was going to score. And, and I don't know how he rebuilds that confidence, but it needs, it needs to happen. You look at um, that Bruno Fernandes chance after, what, seven or eight minutes, and yeah. you sort of think, well, if that had gone in, maybe it would have been different. But the point is, not only did it not go in, but it's actually an inexplicable miss. The ball's pulled back to him. He's got no defender within five or six yards. It's as clear a shot as you're going to get in a Premier League it, game. It bobbled and, slightly, John. I mean, he's it's, he's Bruno Fernandes. He, he should be better than that. Like He, he, he missed the target by a huge distance. Um and and then he just sort of disappeared into himself. Uh, I think David de Gea is a has become a massive problem for them. Um, I th- yeah, I think he was at fault with the second goal. Uh, and uh, but generally, I think his shot stopping is fine. He can't pass. He can't play the ball out from the back. That's why Spain have got rid of him. And so Brighton's press just kept on causing them problems. And, and yeah, it was twice in the first twenty minutes when United presented the ball to to Brighton forwards in the box. And you know that, that's what I was thinking of when I said that if Brighton had a goal score, it would have been worse for United because those were two glorious chances. And you sort of think, well, against a, a team with a striker, th- those are goals just from the defence not being able to pass it out. Yeah, Dallas not good enough. Uh, Maguire's confidence is shot. The, the midfield two, uh, you know, Fred and McTominay, just all over the place, offering you no don't protection. See, do you the, see a young? The pressing was dreadful. Uh, yeah, Christian Eriksen deployed centre forward didn't work at all. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, the, uh, the, there's a couple of issues uh, here. First, just briefly on McTominay, you don't see young Jordan Henderson in him. I mean, you know, it, it struck me that his performance yesterday was abysmal. Um, yeah. But 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 successive Manchester United managers 
keep picking him, putting him in the team. They obviously like something about him, you know, like his his attitude is good, his his fitness is great. Um, he looks like he could be a very useful player, and he plays like that, and you think this guy's never going to be good enough. But I've thought that about Jordan Henderson many times, and I, I was wrong. Um, well, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm. Uh Maybe I'm not the right person to ask because I saw Jordan Henderson very early in his career and I saw the progression almost game by game uh, in that first season. I saw his capacity to learn and develop and get better. Uh, well, that makes you the right person to ask then. Can, can well, this, no, because I, I, I haven't seen that with McTominay. Yeah. And I, 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 haven't, I haven't followed him from early enough in his career to, to sort of... But I, I don't sense... I don't get any feeling he's a better player now than he was five years ago. And that might be the environment. You know, so that's a very hard environment to become a better player in. I think managers like him because he's an honest trier and because fans basically quite like him because they see a bloke who's, who is trying quite hard even if he's not quite good enough for them. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, he, he was... Fred was dreadful yesterday as well. The, the, the pair of them were, were awful, but in a generally awful team performance. Yeah. You know, Gareth Southgate was there in the director's box as well. And he, he must have been looking at that thing and actually the only English player here who's playing remotely well... Sorry, the only two English players here playing remotely well uh, uh, Webster and Welbeck. Yeah. Nobody yeah. on the Manchester United team. Like Sancho was, was never involved in the game. Yeah. Um, there, Eric Ten Hag has at least managed to get one major signing through the door. Um, Lissandro Martinez is the fourth most expensive player signed during the transfer window. Um, and obviously there was a lot of talk about his height. And Brighton's very first action of the game was to boot a long ball in his direction as though to remind him of this. Um, but what did you make of his performance overall? Uh, I mean, it was chaotic. He was sort of all over the place, but I'm not really sure that's his fault. I think the structure just wasn't there. I mean, I, I think I think that was a foul on Welbeck. I think that should have been a penalty. Mm. Um, I thought he gave the ball away a lot. Uh, I, I, you know, he just seemed to be buzzing everywhere, which I think for a centre-back is not not a good sign. But whether that's his fault or whether it's the structure, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, you come back to the fact that Welbeck bossed that game in the air. And with the great respect to Danny Welbeck, he's not the world's greatest target man. So if Martinez is struggling against Welbeck in the air, he's going to have real struggles against yeah, bigger and stronger centre forwards. Did you get the impression at any point, I mean, this is something that I began to think pretty early in the game, is why is this guy playing uh, centre-back when they've got Rafael Varane on the bench and McTominay and Fred in midfield and Martinez can also play... In, in the midfield. back of midfield, yeah. Well, well I, you know, that seems I completely like a, like agree. A, might be yeah. given the players they've got, that seems to be an obvious. Unless you're going to play with the back three, that seems to not an obvious solution. Because Varane, I would say, is still the the best central defender. He may not have had a great season last season, but you know, we know how good he is. Um, so yeah, to to play him and Maguire, and yeah, he he could play to the right. Maguire could go back to the left, which he favours, despite being right footed. And then Martinez, that that sort of busyness, that that sort of energy would seem better deployed at the back and field plugging gaps than, than than sort of being all over the place at centre-back. I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, Jack, uh, I wonder what your opinion is. I mean, we know what Jonathan's opinion is, but what is your opinion about the uh, situation with Ronaldo? Obviously, he was sitting there on the bench. I mean, he just adopted this <clears throat> magnificent sneer uh, as he sat there. You know, everyone knows what he thinks about being left on the bench. Um, Ericton Hackett pointed out that this guy isn't actually fit, but I suppose Ronaldo would retort, "I've you know I've been fit for twenty years, so I don't really see what's different about it now." It's it's sort of difficult for him, I think, to actually leave him out of the upcoming games. I mean, they, they play Brentford next, and they play Liverpool, so they're already under pressure. 
But how do you think this situation, like, can you see a future in which Ronaldo stays at Man United and that isn't a disaster? No, um, I think he probably, I think he probably will stay um, because it seems to be quite clear that Ronaldo and Mendes have overplayed their, or they've kind of overestimated the strengths of their hand this Mm. summer. Uh, because they clearly thought that they could click their fingers and he'd get lots of, you know, exciting, shiny offers from big teams. But that seemingly hasn't happened at all. Um, maybe, you know, there's obviously a bit of time left in the market. Maybe Georges will pull something out of the bag, but you'd probably bet against it at this point. Um, I think he'll have to stay. I think that's really bad for United. It, it it's, it's clear that he doesn't fit with what Ten Hag's trying to do. I mean, even worse than that, is I think, is probably the, the distraction factor. The fact that we're, you know, people talk about him all the time, the camera's on him all the time, people ask about, you know, did he leave early after the friendly against Ryan Vallecano? That kind of thing. I don't think, I think he's inimical to the team ethic as well as the style of football that Ten Hag is trying to play. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to, I think for as long as Ronaldo is there, he, they are going to get worse. And I'm sure, you know, Ronaldo fans would say, well, he's, he will score, he'll still score a few goals for us. But I think that that, I, I think you know the the price isn't worth the prize in that in that sense. Like it's not worth the goals that he will score for them this season are not worth the the downside of him of his still being there. You were at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Jack, to see the league leaders in action. So is it a case of do believe the preseason hype? Yeah, well, I mean, look, all Spurs fans would have gone into that game very optimistic, I think, because of how they finished the season and the signings they made over the summer and so on. And actually, I think it's one of those rare cases where they would have left the ground even more optimistic than they were beforehand. <laughs> like, they were really good. Yeah. Um, and they were good in the same way they were good last season. And they were good without any of the new players playing. Mm. Um, I thought, you know, Kulisewski was sensational. Sessegnon was really good. Um, and the, even Kane and Son weren't especially good and the team was still great. And that has, you know, Tottenham haven't been able to do that for years. It's a very long time since Tottenham w- could batter somebody with Kane having an off day and Son not looking great either. So, yeah, in that sense, very optimistic. They have, uh, obviously, I mean, I mean you, you mentioned that the, the, you know, it was all their regular players from last season that started the game, but uh, they did obviously have a lot of strength on the bench and Daniel Levy has somehow been persuaded to set aside his his uh, long-term habit of doing all his business in the last six hours of the transfer window on August 31st. How did that happen? Well, I think the I think there's two re- one reason is that Tottenham are just in a financially stronger position now than they have been for a while. Uh, you know, clearly, See, I'm a bit surprised to to hear that as well because you know the the talk during the pandemic was certainly oh dear you know we've we've just built the most expensive stadium in the country um, and now we can't put anyone in it and this is really bad. But apparently, their situation is actually good. Well, I think that I think now that you know COVID is effectively over, or at least it's over in a policy sense. That means that you know they can rely on a big season of stadium revenue back in the Champions League, that sort of thing. So they can plan to have that money coming in the future. So that's one reason. I think the other big reason is political pressure on Daniel Levy. I mean, Levy he loves having Conte there, but Conte being there puts Levy under a lot of pressure because. He's scared that Conte would walk, basically. You know, Conte's only got one year left in his contract. He is, he's walked out on Juventus in the past, walked out on Inter Milan. He, it's not an empty threat with Conte. And I think Levy is anxious that it might happen. He's got Paratici there as well, 
who can exert a bit more pressure saying, you know, oh, Juventus, we wouldn't wait until the last day of the window. We'd certainly get our best players, our best targets in at the start of the summer. And all of a sudden, Levy is, uh, I mean, somebody suggested to me the other day he was isolated. I'm not sure, that, that's, a, that's quite a strong word. But I do Lonely think at the top. Yeah, I do think he, he feels more pressure from Conte and Paratici than, say, he ever felt from Pochettino. Because with Pochettino, like A, Pochettino would never criticise Levy in public, and B, Pochettino was always on long-term deals. So there was never the prospect that Pochettino would just walk off. Um, so this puts a lot of pressure on Levy to deliver, and that's why I think he has been forced out of his comfort zone and forced to rip up his transfer window playbook this summer in quite the way that he has. Four goals scored, that meant four goals conceded by our number one Republic of Ireland goalkeeper, Gavin Bazunu. Jack, there's constantly this debate over here about between Cuevin Keller and Gavin Bazunu. Uh, Bazunu is very much a number one at the moment. And we certainly like to think he could be one of the Premier League's top goalkeepers. Would you have pinned any of the goals on him? Yes, there was one that he, the, the one they got from a corner, he kind of spilled the initial shot, maybe could, could have caught that one. But was it was was it Bazunu's fault? No, it wasn't Bazunu's fault. He made some really good saves. It was a really good one from Son in the first half. I think it was a good one from Kane in the, towards the end of the first half as well. Uh, I didn't. I I came away from that game thinking he was pretty good. Okay. Um, I certainly don't think he was the reason that Saints lost. I mean, I think um, it's, you know, it's going to be a tough old season for Saints, um, given the you know everything that's happened there over the last few years. And they've obviously Hassan Huttle's been asked to bring in a whole new backroom staff, which isn't a great sign of confidence in him as manager. But um, mm. I yeah, I thought Bazuna was basically fine. Okay, we we've uh, spent I don't know, fifteen minutes or so without mentioning Erling Haaland yet, so I guess it's time to <laughs> guess it's time to do that. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, Jack, if you've been listening to this or actually any other podcast in uh, recent times, uh, but I don't know. There's a lot of maybe what what the internet people call copium going on. Uh, we were huffing on the copium of um, Erling Haaland, perhaps wondering wondering how to make himself relevant to this Man City team. And after watching City at West Ham, uh, it sort of flipped completely to, uh, they're just going to rain assists on Haaland, aren't they? It's just it's just going to be like rose petals at a wedding or something, just <laughs> pouring pouring assists down on his head and he's going to score. He's going to break Dixie Dean's record this season. Well, look, I don't know if you will, but I do. yesterday was amazing, I thought, just even just watching on TV. Like, he's so quick. Oh, that's unbelievable! How does he get? How does he get moving yeah. so quick? And he's that size. I know. Like I remember the first, the first, I think probably only time I've seen Haaland play in the flesh was a Champions League game between Dortmund and PSG just before COVID. So like it was the game where he did that famous shot that with uh, hit the metal grate yeah. behind uh, 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 the Westfalen Stadion, which was so loud. And there was a moment in that game where Dortmund were doing a fast counter attack. I kind of looked at the, I, you know, I looked at the pitch, quickly glanced down to a team sheet to see what number somebody was, looked back up, and Haaland was like 10 metres further forward than I would have expected him to be at that point, given that I didn't anticipate him being that quick. And that's always so weird when you're seeing a player for the first time and you're realising how fast they are. And the only other player I can think of like that in recent years who's had that effect on me is Mbappe. As in, but at least Mbappe, yeah, but with Haaland it's kind of freakier, isn't he? Because he's so tall. Um... So yeah, it's uh, he's definitely quite he, he he has that like uniqueness to him, doesn't he? In his, in the sense of his physicality and speed, um, and yeah, it's certainly interesting to see how it how it goes from here. We were saying earlier, Jonathan, you just say for that second goal, you knew as soon as the ball reached Kevin De Bruyne 
that they're about to score a goal, which is, it seems like a ridiculous thing to say when there's still a couple of defenders in the way. But you just knew uh, with De Bruyne with that much space and Haaland with that much time to figure out his run was definitely going to get in position to score a goal and was almost certainly going to score, which is a, a frightening thought that, uh, you know, situations like that are almost guaranteed goals now for Manchester City. What did you make of Haaland's performance? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the odd thing after the Community Shield was that I, I, I didn't think, I mean, look, Haaland didn't look fully fit in that game. But I, I thought the bigger problem was he wasn't getting the service that his runs demanded. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he kept on starting to make a burst and the ball wasn't being played, even when midfielders were in, in space. So my point was, it's OK, it's partly about him adapting to City, but it's also about City adapting to him. And part of the reason he's brought in, has clearly, he's been brought in, is clearly to, 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 to make them slightly more direct. And, and Sundays, yeah, they seem pretty, I mean, it's not a huge thing to work out. If you've got the ball in space and Holland's making a run, knock it behind the defender from the run onto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they do seem to have worked out in the last week. And so, you know, I also sort of felt once that happened, even though that's you know, pretty alien to the, to the Guardiola model, once that happened, the, the, then it would be devastating. And of course, the problem you now have is if you're playing against City as a, as a weaker Premier League team, and by weaker, I sort of mean anybody not Liverpool, probably, uh, maybe Tottenham. Brighton. <laughs> well, no, even Brighton, I think, will be forced to sit deep against them. Um, and you sort of th- you look at Holland, you think, oh, he's massive. We can't sit deep because we don't want the ball going in the air to him. But if you push up, he's going to destroy you for pace. And that, that's why I think he's such a, an odd talent. What, you know, it's the sort of talent you, you see very, very rarely where he's got that blend of incredible physicality and pace. And then, to be honest, I think his heading is not as good as it probably should be. Given now, what, happens when he fig- when, what happens when he figures out how to do that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I remember watching the game uh, of Christian Vieri playing against Atletico late 90s and sort of thinking, I don't know how you defend against him. I don't know what you meant to do. He's just bigger and quicker. And you know, it, it's, like, it's like he's in the wrong weight category or something. And I think, and, and that, that for, for Vieri, I guess, maybe because of injuries, you know, whatever, it, it never quite sort of worked for him consistently. But Holland looks like, it, you know, it, it could happen. Now, occasionally when you see that type of player, what, what happens is they, they are just, you know, sort of too big for their pace or too, or too quick for their size and they start to get injuries. But doesn't seem to be any evidence yet that that's a problem. I know, I know he misses a few games, but... Uh, that that that'd be my, my one concern about him. But if 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 he does stay fit, and if if the sort of conditioning coaches he has and the city have, you know, managed to sort of keep everything in balance, then then you know, he could set extraordinary goal scoring records. Your one concern about him is that he may test the limits of human physical biology. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, Jack, do you have any? suggestions for for how to defend against man city now i mean you know it has been you know i don't don't know if it's an orthodoxy actually most most teams do tend to defend really deep against man city but the the idea that you know if they don't really like a team that does try to chase them a little bit very risky to take that approach against them with Haaland there now i actually think teams defended to have defended too deep against city in the last few years simply because city haven't really had that speed in behind, certainly since, you know, since he fell out with Sane and then decided he didn't like Sterling anymore, uh, City didn't really have that have that threat. So I was surprised that teams didn't actually squeeze up more. Uh, now, as, as Jonathan says, that's not really an option, I think. Um, so, I yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how 
how teams adapt. Or the thing is, if there's one thing that if, if there's one of the weakness that Harlem brings to City, it's the fact that they are playing with one fewer midfielder. You know, last they played their best football last season with Foden up front, basically, uh, and so almost effectively, you know, five mid five central midfielders and then two guys out wide. Um, so I, I just wonder whether maybe against the very best teams, if you're playing Haaland as a sort of old, effectively as an old fashioned number nine, um, then maybe they would have one less body in the middle of the pitch. But then they've still got if there's you know they would still have De Bruyne, Rodri, Gundogan. I think they had in the middle yesterday, so they're still going to look pretty good in there. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned one less midfielder. They had two extra midfielders, according to David Moyes, who I thought was quite interesting after the game, Jonathan. He just said, he said they were totally tactically done by Man City, who pushed their fullbacks into midfield, which doesn't seem that revolutionary a tactic, to be honest with you, but it certainly seemed to do the business, which just goes to show that we're, we're busy talking about Haaland. He was obviously the match winner. But at the same time, there are all sorts of other tactical conundrums within that Man City setup that other managers are going to have to deal with as well. Yeah, I mean that's true. But I, I think that's that's always been true of Guardiola City. That, that, that yeah, they they conjure midfielders and, and you know from, from from fullback from centre forward. You know they 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 constantly increasing the number of midfielders, which gives them great flexibility to to create overloads in in, in various parts of the pitch. Um, and, and that's what I think they've been really good at. I think I think the reason that we're all talking about Holland and the reason why he's so different and exciting is that he's a sort of explosive presence they haven't had that he adds that sort of that element of anarchy to them um and you, you sort of think that that, that 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 polish of the midfield they have and you know city have been the top scorer in the premier league for the last five seasons so it's clearly not an issue at league level but i think in in big champions league games and, and possibly even against liverpool in the league uh there have been times when you wonder if city are a bit too polished whether that becomes a little bit predictable Whereas Holland gives them that that sort of brute power mm. um, that, that that's, yeah that, that means they can hurt you in two very different ways. Jonathan, we'll keep an eye on your beloved Potters, uh, <laughs> uh, well Potter's side, I should say, the Seagulls over the course of the season. See if they can secure that top ten position. That's great. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Jack. Cheers, thank you. Cheers, thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a beautiful summer's day. The breeze is stupendous. 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 Would this podcast be even more stupendous without ads? Without ads? Ads. If so, then join us for daily commercial-free shows at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. I don't know what you're talking about. 
I'm not bumping them up, I'm not Irish. I'm just saying my observations, they are amazing. Ken, I know you started today's podcast by expressing your, I would say, mild unhappiness with the match choice in Premier Sports this weekend, opening weekend. You wanted to see, you wanted to see goals Bazunu, rain, Bazunu rain down on Kane. Gavin Bazunu. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, want, I want to see him break, break Harry Kane's heart. Well, you know? this Saturday, it's Manchester City versus Bournemouth. Again, Erling Haaland unleashing his battery of unchecks. On Mark Travers. On Mark oh. Travers, yes, indeed. Oh. Travers versus Haaland. Oof. Well... There's a battle to get you through your Saturday afternoon. That's good. Yeah, Man City against Bournemouth. Hmm. Another football podcast for members, most likely this Thursday, and plenty more football coverage besides on the other shows during the week. That's it for today. Good to have the season back up and running. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you'll hear all episodes ad-free if you become a World Service member on secondcaptains.com. The Second Captains podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never got home. They never got home. They never got home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 